So, uh, yeah, recently I was listening to um, an interview, uh, and it was between uh, this guy was interviewing this bishop, and this bishop had served in ministry for, for years, I mean, like decades upon decades. And so he asked him, um, how have you been able to sustain in, in ministry for so long? Like for all that you've seen over all these generations, how is it that you have been able to do this? And the guy began to kind of interrupt him a little bit after he asked the question. He's like, it must be like the disciplines that you carry, or you must have a really supportive like prayer team behind you, or like you must have served just in the, all these places where uh, people are just so kind and generous and there's no complaints, uh, just all these different things, right. That he's offering up. And if I'm being honest, like I was doing it in my head too, thinking, you know, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? And finally he kind of just, you know, looked at him and the guy was quiet finally. And he said, you know, he goes, I have an infinite capacity for disappointment. I have an infinite capacity for disappointment. Yeah. And like many of you, I kind of chuckled and laughed and I was sitting there going, whoa, like not what I expected. And is this wisdom or is this weariness after decades and decades of serving in ministry all over the world? And that phrase has kind of been rattling around, stuck in my head a little bit and just been thinking about that, that here's this, this person uh, who's a person of the Lord, you know, and, and for years and years. And that's what he said. I have an infinite capacity for disappointment. Disappointment, I looked up, is um, actually from like fourth century French. And it literally means to undo an appointment, right? It's basically the unraveling of something set to occur. And I've been thinking about the fact that for so many of us, I think we live with a lot of disappointment. Um, Collectively, the last two and a half years, disappointment. Yeah. So much unexpected. So many things that we thought were going to happen and ended up being unraveled. Appointments we had set, things we had hoped, plans we had, and all of it getting undone because of the last two and a half years. And now we sit here in this place and in this space where what was is no longer. <laughs> What's yet to be is not quite here yet. And if you're like me, you feel kind of like we're sitting in this space that just feels a little bit awkward. I think we're in like this liminal phase together as a world. Again, we're not there anymore. We're not here yet. Even this morning, someone was talking about, oh, I remember we used to do this, or I heard you guys used to do this. I wasn't part of the community then, but I've stepped in now. And that was normal before. And I don't know what's normal anymore. I'm like, yeah, brother, I get you. <laughs> I don't know what's normal anymore. And I feel that in relationships, I feel that in church, I feel that in work. I mean, you name it, right? Like all these different things, there's different elements and aspects of where we are that's kind of just a little bit disappointing. Things not being fulfilled the way we thought they would. So the question I want us to wrestle with this morning or look to Jesus's words to help us in our wrestling in the midst of that is to go, how do we live in the midst of this liminal phase with a real sense of purpose and of joy? You know, we're in this series called Longings of the Heart. We started a few weeks ago, and I'd said at the beginning when I launched it that we could almost call this series Jesus According to Jesus. And that's because what we're doing is we're opening up the Gospel of John, and we're looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus. And what we're looking at is that these were not just ways in which he was declaring for them, I am, but also the way today he's declaring for us that he is the satisfaction of all the longings that we have. I believe in these I am statements, Jesus is addressing seven core longings that we have as a humanity. And that's true, whether it's in normal or whether it's in the future, or whether it's now in this liminal phase. And so that's what we're looking at together. And this morning, we're going to open our Bibles to John chapter 15. Um, yeah. So if you have it, would you turn with me there? And we're going to read John 
John 15, verses 1 through 11 to to get started here. Um, And God's word says this to us this morning. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This morning, we're going to be talking about the fact that we long for joy. And God knows that. Jesus knows that. And Jesus says to us this morning that life and joy come from him, the one who is the true vine. And if we desire to have our longing for joy fulfilled, the only way it's actually going to come is being connected to him, the one who is the true vine. So Jesus starts this um, passage here by saying, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's talking in language and word pictures and ideas that were part of the religious heritage of the Jewish people. Uh, In the day that Jesus was speaking on their coins, uh, they actually had vines on their money. When they walked into the temple in this day and age, and as they had for centuries, there was actually a golden vine that was above the the doorpost as they walked into the temple. If we were to have time to read through the Old Testament, we could look at Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Psalms. Every single one of those Old Testament books speaks to and refers to Israel as a vine. So Jesus, again, is speaking in terms that they would understand connected to their religious system and their heritage. But here's the thing. Every single time that Israel or the people of God were referred to as a vine in those Old Testament books, it was not a positive association. It was speaking about a people that had kind of run amok and gone their own way. It was speaking in terms of decay, decline, and regression. Again, a vine out of control because it was a vine that didn't know how to listen to the guiding, loving voice of the vine dresser and instead wanted to just do its own thing. And so the Israelites, because they thought that they were connected to God's people in this day and time as Jesus is standing here, they thought, hey, we're God's chosen people. We've got all these, this heritage. We've got all these things. We know what to do. And they thought that they were connected to the true vine. And yet they weren't. And so what Jesus is saying right here out of the gate in this statement of I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser, he's saying to them, no, 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 no. You may think that you're experiencing life right now. You may think that you are connected to the true vine, but I have news for you. I've come on the scene now and that's not true any longer. There's a new way in which you will experience trueness and fullness of life and fullness of joy. And I'm it. 
Jesus is saying to them, basically, if you want to experience true life and joy, it's through being connected to me. Let's read on together. In verse 2, again, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. Excuse me, that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, I don't think that Jesus' voice here is condemning. I don't think that Jesus' voice here is judgmental. I think what Jesus is doing, again, is actually speaking just very practically to them in a language and in a word picture that they understand. Again, agricultural vines, they understood this. And you guys, you guys get it, right? If you cut a vine off of a branch, what happens to it? It literally dies. It is no longer connected to the source of life, and so it withers, it fades, it stops bearing fruit, and it really is good for nothing except what? Take it and throw it in the fire and warm myself by this thing because that makes sense. Again, Jesus is not speaking condemning. I think a lot of times people read this and hear this and they go, oh gosh, am I like, uh, do I have to watch out that I'm going to be cut off? No, no, no. Jesus is saying, I'm the vine and you are a branch. I'm the source of true life. And my invitation is to you is to remain connected to me. There's nothing that I want to do or will ever do that will cause you to be cut off, but you have a choice to make. Do you want to be remained connected to me? Do you want true life? Do you want fullness of joy? If so, here I am. I offer myself to you in full, your choice. And if you choose not to be connected to me, that's fine. That's, that's your choice. But the reality is, you're, what your future is, is that you will be a branch that withers, that gets cut off and dies and will burn in fire because that's what that kind of branch is good for. You guys get it? You understand? I think, again, Jesus is speaking just real practically to them. What he's doing again is he's talking about the simple basic relationship between a vine and a branch. The fact that branches are not independent nor self-sustaining. They only have life and they can only bear fruit if they're connected to the vine, which is the true source of life. They must have complete and continuous connection or they die. Otherwise, their purpose goes from being something bearing fruit to something that needs to be burned and has another purpose of, of warming. Church, we need to remain connected to Jesus if we want life and joy. You're going to hear me say that statement over and over again today. And I hope that if you understand or think about nothing else, that, that it'll be this, that if you want to have true life and fullness of joy, we need to remain connected to Jesus. I was thinking this week about uh, my Christmas tree. Is it too late, too early to talk about Christmas trees? You guys okay? Can I do that for a minute? We were in a store the other day and uh, like half the songs were Christmas already. And I was like, wait, What? So I said, you know, that gives me permission to talk about Christmas trees. So last year, we decided to buy a fake Christmas tree. Uh, we had done a real Christmas tree for years and years. Um, and last year, we were just like, we just don't have it in us to do the whole thing. So we bought a fake Christmas tree. Other than I took the boys, if, if I remember, I told you guys in our neighborhood, there's this place called the Little Christmas Tree Field or something. And so we went down there, we met the owner, and the boys and I were just going to walk and like to have the experience, you know, like smelling the real tree and all that. And the guy was so sweet, this old dude. And he's like, here, I want you to take this for your son. So he cut off this like three foot one. And we ended up having last year, two trees, a fake one that my wife and I were like, this is our tree. And then the boys had theirs and the boys were like, this is our tree. 
this year, what we've decided is that we're going to do a real one again, but instead of going out to some farm and doing the whole thing, what has happened is that nature has blessed us in our yard with six trees. <laughs> Yeah. And over the years they've grown, they were really small and I used to start pulling them, but then all of a sudden the boys and I, one day were out there playing and Otis goes, dad, can this be our Christmas tree next year? And I'm looking at this going, I don't know if next year, but in a few years. Yeah. So here we are, we've owned this home now for five years. And after five years, we've got these two that are surrounded by weeds and nastiness, but there's these two big trees. And this year we've decided Otis and I have picked the one that's going to be our Christmas tree. We're really excited. I don't know when we'll do it. We'll figure it out. Right. Um, but we're excited to to cut down that tree from our own yard and to decorate it. But here's the thing I've been thinking about and I was telling Otis about because he loves the tree as it is. And I've been having to tell him, but, but once we cut it down, you know what's going to happen, right? Yeah, yeah, we're going to decorate. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have it in our home. And it's going to be amazing. Yeah, yeah, but you know what's going to happen, right? All of that, he repeats it. But after a month, you know what that thing's going to be good for? Firewood. And no matter how pretty we continue to decorate that thing, you know what? that's a dead tree because it is disconnected from its life source. No matter what we do to spruce it up, we can continue spray good stuff to make it smell like a tree. We can put new lights on all that. Stuff. No matter how we try to doll it up, that thing is going to be dead in a month. Why? Because it is disconnected from the life source. That's basically what Jesus is saying. And sometimes we go, okay, well, I'll just get the fake tree then because that's easier. Well, okay, go for it. Yes, it'll look greener longer, but newsflash, that thing's dead too. You guys tracking with me? I think if Jesus were to step in in our day and in our time, he wouldn't be talking to us about a vine. Instead, he might here in the Pacific Northwest, he might be talking to us about Christmas trees. And I think the conversation would go a little bit something like that. You can get the fake one if you want, but it's not the real thing. It's not alive. And if you want the real life, don't, you, you got to stay remained and connected to the roots. You got to be grounded in the actual life source. Otherwise, give it about a month that thing's dead. Dress it up how you want, but it's no longer full of life and vibrancy and producing the fruit that it was created to produce. Let's move on here a little bit. Verse seven. Again, Jesus says this. He says, if you abide in me, again, if this, this invitation, not a judgment, but an if, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified. Again, do you see the, the language here? This isn't judgment. This is saying, I, if you, I'm, I'm giving you an invitation. And if you respond to that invitation, there's going to be fruit in your life. And not only fruit for you, but God, the father is going to be glorified by it. He's glorified when you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Abiding and joy. What does abide mean? Abide simply means to remain or to persevere or to stay put, right? And what is joy? Jesus ends here by saying, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What is joy? We need to be reminded that joy is not happiness. Those are not the same thing. Happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is, is a response to my circumstances and the things going on, and it's fleeting because it's based upon my circumstances. Joy, from a biblical perspective, is a response to understanding the grace and favor of God extended to you. A response to the grace and the favor of God extended to you. 
It's acknowledging and being aware of and recognizing that God, the father, the creator of everything who also created you, the fact that he loves you, that he is inclined towards you always, that you are the apple of his eye and he sees you, that his posture towards you is one of invitation and one of love, one of welcome, one of a call and like this saying, come to me. That this is God's posture to us. And so joy is actually a posture that is a response to God's posture of invitation and love. And it's a posture of us that, that, that looks up and looks around and is able to see and to recognize and acknowledge and go, oh my gosh, even in the midst of this crappy situation that does not make me happy, I can experience joy because even in the midst of this, God's heart is for me. God's grace is being extended towards me. God's favor is mine, even in the midst of this. Some of you might be hearing in your head right now the James of the, the words of James chapter one, verses one through four, where he says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials and hardships of many kinds. Why? Because God's at work in the midst of that. James, what the are you talking about? Consider it joy in the midst of these trials and hardships. But joy is a feeling. It's an emotion. It's in response to my circumstances. No, no, no. That's happiness. Joy is even in the midst of the trials and circumstances, you know, and you understand, and you believe that God, the father is good. And he loves you And his grace and his favor is for you in an unlimited amount. And you then again, can stand there in the midst of that. James is saying, who was the brother of Jesus and watched Jesus walk through this and lived himself in the first century church with major persecution saying, I can stand here and consider it joy that I'm experiencing these hard and troubling, trying, confusing things. Why? Because in the midst of it, God's grace and his favor is extended to me. Joy in response to that. Joy is not simply an emotion, but it is an emotional response or reaction to the grace of God extended to me in the midst of every situation and circumstance of life. And so Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What are these things? What are these things that Jesus is talking about? There's three things that we've looked at and we've talked about here in these verses that I want to highlight and talk through for a minute. These things that Jesus is talking about are pruning, obedience, and love. Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you and he's just spoken to us about pruning, obedience, and love so that his joy would be in us and our joy may be full. Remember verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Remember, Jesus' desire in this whole passage is for us to understand that we have the ability to live with fullness of life and we have the ability to live with fullness of joy, joy in a way such that it overflows. There's a lot of things that we could talk about in terms of false vine versus true vine living. There's three things that Jesus talks about here that I want to I want to work through together. The first one is this. False vine living is is living with a sense of self-sufficiency versus true vine living is a life surrendering or submitting to the pruning, trusting in the vine dresser. Jesus is stepping on the scene and saying to them again like you think you can live self-sufficiently because you are connected to this heritage or you're connected to certain people or you have certain rituals, you have these things. And Jesus is coming and saying, no, 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 no. If you want to live as a true vine, 
you need to endure pruning. And it's part of the process of living under the care and the goodness of this father who is lovingly inclined towards us, who is the vine dresser. See, pruning cuts us back so that we can actually stimulate new growth and productivity. The scary truth and the question we might ask is, how does cutting things off bring more life and more joy? Well, a skillful gardener cuts off things that are alive and by no means cuts anything to make a wound. Actually, the cutting and the pruning is to protect and to encourage more fruitfulness in a plant. Some, many of you guys are, you have gardening skills and acumen way above mine. I have nothing, so you don't have to have much, but you have way more than I. And you know, when you go out there and prune, you're actually cutting living things, aren't you? But often when you're cutting a good living thing, what do you realize and have to know? Actually, the enemy of the great is what? The good. <laughs> if I want a great looking rose bush, what do I got to do? I got to cut off these ones that look okay. We can use some of that action here. If anybody knows how to do it, let me know. Some, one author said this, there is nothing cut off that is not a gain to lose and a loss to keep. Think about that for a second. In the process of entrusting ourselves to the loving hand of God, the father, who is the vine dresser, the one who is doing the pruning. When he's at work in our life, there is nothing cut off that is not a gain to lose and a loss to keep. Jesus is saying in this passage, again, that branches are not self-sufficient. Branches are 100% dependent upon both the life of the vine and the vine dresser who loves it, created it, called it into existence, has great purposes for it. And because that is true, he prunes them. False vine living says, I'm self-sufficient. I know what I want. I know what I need. I'm going to get it. The world has given me all the tools I need for it. And here I go. True vine living where we can experience fullness of life and joy is a life that surrenders in trust to the pruning, loving, careful hand of God the Father. We've been experiencing this with my, my son recently. Um, there's like this pride of life, I call it, for a seven-year-old recently. And, you know, the other day he had soccer practice on Tuesday. If you guys remember Tuesday, it was like pouring rain. And we were kind of not, we were kind of in disbelief that coach was even still having practice. But we understood because the week prior was what? It was smoke. And so both practices got canceled and the game got canceled. So in some regards, we're like, yes, we need to get these kids back out of the house active. So rain, whatever, let's go have practice. So we get there. And um, well, actually, before, before we get there, we'd given Otis like a warm undershirt thing, you know, like our underarm or whatever to put under his jersey. And he's like, this is too hot. I can't stand this. I'm not doing it. I don't need it. Whatever. Okay. Well, at least take this sweatshirt, please. No, no, I don't need it. Whatever, whatever. Take him there. Practice. Drop him off. I wait in the car for a little bit to see if they're actually having practice. I decide to go home because they were having practice. I get home. The moment I get home, I get the call. Uh, practice is canceled now, you know, early. Would you come back and get your kids? I drive back, I get there, I pick him up. I, he jumps in the car. First thing he says to me, dad, I'm freezing cold. Can you help me? Dad or son, what, what do you think my response is going to be to you right now? I love you. And I'm really sorry that you're freezing, but, but you know, yeah, you know what I mean? And like, these are, these are conversations I feel like we're having over and over and over again right now in this season of seven years old. And so I begin to just talk to him about this reality of like perspective, like son at seven, I, I get it. You're really smart. You know, a lot of things you're gifted by the grace of God, like all this stuff. But often you just look and you see like at the end of your hand and that's as far as you see, but mom and dad, we, we love you. And we've been around for quite a while. 
And my, my arm, my arm and my vision, my ability to see is a little bit farther than yours. And my perspective by the grace of God is just that I've, I've gone through a little more things and I can, I want, I'm going to ask you to do some things. I'm going to share with you some things. And I'm going to even ask that you, you submit to some things because it's actually good for you. It's going to help you next time to go out into the rainstorm and actually be able to endure and be okay and not have to jump back in the car and first thing go, dad, I'm freezing. Can you help me? So I think as adults, we get that about kids, right? That they're limited in eye and perspective and all that stuff. But honestly, I think when we grow up, we, we stand here and we go at 42, I'm self-sufficient now. Nobody needs to tell me how, you know, about myself. You guys, we have a loving father who has created everything from eternity past to eternity future. And we stand here in the middle of it. And his posture towards us is nothing but love and compassion and a desire to see us live with fullness of joy. And I guarantee you, he's talking to each and every single one of us in this season of life about things that he would invite us to, to cut out or to prune because he has a different view in sight. He has a different end in sight. He has a different plan and purpose than we have. And he's saying, would you let me cut that out? Or I'm going to cut that out. And in the midst of it, would you not go off this track that says, oh, you're a, I'm a bad God and I don't love you? No, no, no. Would you, would you submit to my loving pruning within your life? see pruning gets at the root of things in our life that steal our life and our joy and that's why the vine dresser prunes a person connected to the true vine will grow in joy through the process of pruning so that's pruning let's talk about the second thing jesus says in terms of these things he talks about obedience here see false vine living as a is living out of self-righteousness true vine living is living out of obedience the false vine of religiosity is not relationship. It's a mechanical life. It's full of religious busyness. It's, again, similar to the Israelites that Jesus was speaking to here and the people in the day and the time when they're sitting there and they're saying, well, we do these things. We were connected to this family. We're connected to this synagogue or this church or this temple. I have this relationship with this certain type of people, and so therefore I'm spiritually good, aren't I? And Jesus is coming and saying, no, no, no. That's religion with a lot of activity. What I'm inviting you to is relationship. Again, recognizing and acknowledging love and responding to love. Not recognizing or desiring activity frenetically for the sake of appearing religious or spiritual or whatever, a good person. But no, recognizing love and responding to love. See, false vine self-righteous is, is trying to earn God's love instead of experiencing it. It's working from a place, it's trying to work for God's favor instead of recognizing God's favor is already extended to me. And I sit by the grace of God in Christ in God's favor. So I don't have to earn anything. I can respond to what is already given to me. See, obedience without connection to the true vine, it doesn't bring about the change that we desire, nor that we desire to see in the world. And that religious self-righteousness actually just leads to what? disappointment, the undoing of a lot of things that should be appointed in our life by the Lord and his love for us. And instead we undo it actually, when we go with this rote mechanical religiosity and self-righteousness, Jesus says, no, no, no. My invitation to you is that of love as the father has loved me. So have I loved you now abide in this love. Let my word abide in you. And if you obey the commands, you'll abide in my love. You see the connection there when Jesus is talking about obedience? It's within this context of, of love. The love of the Father given to him that allowed him to obey 
him calling us and saying, I love you with an everlasting love, the way that the father has loved me. And here's these things that I, I want to, I, I, I give to you and I entrust you and I invite you to obey them. Yet not out of religion or mechanical, but out of acknowledgement. This is love. This is love extended. This is grace extended. I can obey it out of love because it's given in love. The third thing then that we talked about. So the fact there is that, you know, a person connected to the true vine will grow in organic obedience because of love. And here's the final one that Jesus spoke about was love. False vine living is self-centered living versus true vine living is the way of love. And if I'm honest, my, my flesh is constantly calling me to live uh, at the whim of the me monster, right? I'm, I'm naturally in my flesh self-centered. I, I, I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what's good for me. I want to do what's good for me. And I want to do what's good for me. And the reality is the world also partners with me and my flesh. And the world comes along and says, uh, here's all these things that you can do to make you a bigger you. <laughs> here's all these things that you can do to make yourself a more fancy you. Here's all these things that you can do to make yourself a more prominent you. And what happens to my me monster? It just grows. You guys remember that old ESPN commercial? The, anyway, sorry, I won't go tangent. Come back, come back. False vine living is self-centered. True vine living is, is love. And here's this thing. I, I think we, we, we have to ask the honest question um, as I live. I ask, ask myself this honest question. As I live according to me monster, does it really produce the joy that I want? Does it really produce the life that I want? Or again, does living a self-centered life, does it actually just bring about more disappointment? And Jesus is inviting us to, to think about that. Jesus is inviting us to consider the fact, again, that a branch is not self-centered. It is not self-sustaining. It is dependent upon the vine and the vine's main source of life and the vine's main transaction currency, if you will, is, is that of love. Jesus goes on to say this in verses 12 through 17. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command to you so that you will love one another. See, Jesus is saying there, there is false vine living, but I've come to offer you an alternative to this false vine living of self-centeredness, and it's the way of love. And again, we might ask, you know, how can Jesus ask us to do this? How can he ask us to submit to pruning? How can he ask us to live obedience? How can he ask us to live in this way of love where I don't consider myself, but I consider others greater than myself? Well, he just told us there that, greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. See, Jesus is only asking us to do in a small degree what he has done for us in the ultimate degree. Jesus came and laid down his life for us in order that we will actually never be cut off, but you and I only need to be cut back a little bit so that we can experience true joy and true life. Jesus is inviting us to understand the reality that a person connected to the true vine will be growing in love for others because, again, the natural life, the natural currency of that vine is love. Everything about it is for the purpose of love and actually what? Love for another so that another would bear fruit, so that another would taste and see that God is good. 
so that another would experience life and joy from this branch that is, is growing with these vines, that is producing fruit, that is representing the goodness and the reality of the kingdom of God, which is the satisfaction of every single longing that you and I have. Jesus invites us, church, to live as vines connected to a branch, remembering the love of God and enduring, if it's even that, the pruning of God, walking in loving obedience to the truth of God and allowing ourselves to soak in the love of God and then be those who are giving away the love that we have received. Again, ultimately, Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. I want to read for you real quick in just Hebrews. The author of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, he says this. After talking about the hall of faith in, in chapter 11, in chapter 12, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those who have endured through pruning, obedience, and love, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run now with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of the faith that you are living right now, who for the joy that was set before him, See, Jesus, as he had to go and endure the cross, the weight of my shame and guilt and all of that stuff, the way he took it upon himself, how did he endure that? It says he actually endured it, how? Through joy. <laughs> Through himself understanding and acknowledging that even in the garden when he's praying and sweating drops of blood, even as he's walking down the road carrying the cross that I should be bearing, and he was whipped and he was spit at and he was mocked and he was cursed, even as he was put up there and stood up there in front of everybody naked and beaten, pierced and all of that, being mocked again, all of it. In the midst of all of that, Horrible circumstances, yeah? He had joy. How? Because joy is not circumstantial, but joy is a recognition of the grace and favor of God extended to me. Jesus understood the grace of God in that moment, not just for himself, but for all of us, for the world. And for the joy set before him, he endured all of that. Again, so that you and I would never have to be fully cut off. We just get to be pruned and clipped and invited into love and obedience so that we can flourish and experience the fullness of the joy of Jesus. Questions for reflection. Here's what I want to, I want to encourage you to really think about and consider today or, or this week. What am I most connected to? Right? If, if abiding, and all we're talking about is about abiding, it means it's remaining or being connected to something. What am I most connected to? And ask yourself, is it something living or is it actually lifeless? Like, are the things that I'm connected to, is, is it, again, really giving me life? Or am I searching for life and for joy where there actually is none? If you're having a hard time answering that question, here's what I'd invite you to begin to kind of look through. Where do I spend my time? I'm probably spending my time on the thing that I'm going to, to provide me a sense of, of joy, a sense of life. Where am I spending my money? Uh, somebody that was discipling me years ago once told me, he asked me, literally, open your checkbook. This was like way long ago. Open your checkbook. <laughs> I want to see what you've written your last couple of checks to. I was like, oh, okay, so here we go. These are probably things you love. These are things you think that matter. These are the things that you think are necessary for life. And that's why you write checks to it. What, do you, what are we spending our money on? What's always on my mind? 
the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm consumed with in my thought is probably the thing, again, that I think is, is the source of life or a source of joy, something that's going to bring me a state of something other than the state that I'm feeling right now. And so I'm, I'm just fixated on it. Follow-up to that is where do I seek happiness? Again, mistaking it for joy. I think, honestly, church, that, that might be one of the most important questions you can think about this week is where am I mistaking happiness for joy? And as things start to arise from these questions, I want to invite you to spend time to consider, yeah, again, are these leading to freedom or are these actually just, am I just enslaved? Are these just keeping me enslaved? And as you write down and you think of some things that come to mind, here, here's what I ultimately want you to do. I want you to take that and go sit with Jesus. Go sit with the Lord that loves you. Go, go sit with the branch. Go be a vine that rests for a little bit in the love. And, and ask the Lord, do these things need to be pruned or are they okay to remain as part of my life? Does this thing, fill in the blank, need to be pruned or is it okay to remain as part of my life? And here's why. When I tell my son an instruction and then we have to go through the wrestling and he doesn't do it and I have to come back and he goes, I'm cold. And I go, told you so, I'm sorry. Like that, that, that sucks for him, doesn't it? But when he actually comes to me in the midst of a circumstance and he goes, dad, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And I go, well, bud, I don't think that's actually going to be a wise choice. I think that's actually going to lead to X, Y, and Z as opposed to ABC that you think. He actually goes, oh, okay. And it's a much different experience. Do you get the picture there? So I invite us to take stock of these things. And then again, take them and lay them before Jesus and go, Jesus, what do you think about this? I'm realizing and recognizing this is a place that I believe I'm finding life. But if I'm honest, it's not really that life-giving. What do you think? Does this need to be pruned? And what you're doing in this question is actually engaging all the three things, these three things that Jesus talked about. The pruning and the obedience and the love. Missy, I want to invite you just to close your eyes and open your hands if you're willing. I just want to pray a simple prayer and blessing on us before we, before we worship. So church, this morning I pray, and may God continue to strengthen your connection to the true vine. May the Lord increase your wisdom and trust in him as you grow in times of pruning. May you, Missio, have joy in knowing that you do not have to manufacture the strength and the substance that you need to be fruitful, but that all that you need comes from the love of God and being connected to the grace of the vine. And may you this morning go out in love and obedience and bear lasting fruit in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.